I wonder if you ever received an invitation to see someone, but you weren't sure what their manner was going to be towards you when you went to see them. Maybe if you can, some of us think back this far, it was a request to go to the headmaster's office at school. And you really didn't know when you got there, is he, is he calling me there uh, because he wants to commend me for the amazing work that I've been doing? Or is he calling me there because he wants to reprimand me and correct me for something that I've done wrong? Maybe it was an invitation from your boss to have lunch with you, but you weren't sure if it was just going to be a friendly catch-up or a critical evaluation of how you really should be doing things better. Maybe kids, it was one of your parents calling loudly up the stairs to you to come and see them right away, and you, were, you really weren't sure from the tone whether they just got in and they wanted to hug you or whether they just got in and discovered the mess that you'd left in the living room and they wanted to lecture you. Invitations are all well and good, but it really makes a difference what kind of heart and intent the person has towards us as they call us. Now, the heart of the Bible's message is one great big invitation for men and women and boys and girls to come back to God. More than that, it's an invitation It's the the revelation of how God has made a way for us to come back to him, in spite of our sins through the person and work of his son. Many of us here this morning already know that God's invitation through Christ is one of good news, that it's a promise of rescue and forgiveness, and of God promising to put right not just everything in the world that's gone wrong, but everything in us and in our hearts and in our lives that has gone wrong as well. But even so, just how sure are we of his heart towards us when he invites us to come back to him? Does he call like a parent who's lost his patience with his children and is ready to berate them with a, with a wrench of the arm and maybe a clip round the ear, we, I know we don't do that anymore, but to get them back onto the right path? Is, is that how he's calling us to return to him? Like sure he has our best interests at heart, Yes, he's come to rescue us, but maybe he really doesn't have any time for our brokenness or our difficulty or our weaknesses as we respond to his call to come to him. Is that what God's heart towards us is like or is he different? How can we be sure? Here's what I think. I think we're usually far more confident of the facts about Jesus' mission to save us than we are of his heart towards those that he came to save. Yes, he came to rescue sinners. Yes, he came to lay down his life on the cross. But how does he feel about the sinners he came to rescue? How does he feel about you and me? With what manner does he reach out to offer us help and rescue, whether it's for the very first time or for the millionth time? With what tone does he invite us and seek to draw us to him? How will he treat us when we come? How can we be sure? Well, the answer given right in the middle of Matthew chapter 12 is that it is a a sure and certain promise of both the Old and the New Testament. And I say that because what we're going to read is Matthew in the New Testament quoting from Isaiah in the Old Testament. So the whole Bible testifies to what we're about to discover. It is the sure and certain promise. It is the sure and certain delight of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, as we'll see. 
that Christ came not to be a harsh and demanding or soul-crushing saviour. No, he came, as we're about to see, to be an altogether compassionate, gentle-hearted saviour, sent by the Father and anointed by the Spirit to be the rescuer of the broken and the weak and the weary, sent to be the tender saviour of the bruised and faint of heart, which, as I say, is our title for this morning, Christ the Tender Saviour of the Bruised and Faint of Heart. So let's read, let's read from Matthew 12, verses 18 to 21, and then we'll give a particular attention to verse 20 together. Behold, says God the Father, behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. So he's saying, this is the one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Verse 20 tells us two things about the heart of this servant, God's son, Jesus. Two things about the manner with which he treats all those who come to him to be saved. Firstly, that he is gentle with those who are bruised. And secondly, that he gives faith to the faint of heart. So first of all, he is gentle with those who are bruised. And we're going to spend much more of our time this morning focusing on this one. He is gentle with those who are bruised. A bruised reed he will not break. Now, what is a bruised reed? And why would anybody want to break it? Well, reeds were one of the most commonly available materials in first century daily life. Uh, They were essentially the stems from a variety of different plants. And a good reed was really useful. Uh, So you could carve it into a pen or a walking stick or a measuring rod. Or you could weave it into parchment or make it into a musical instrument like a flute. But reeds were also to a penny. They they grew by the millions in marshes and by riverbanks, so each individual reed was of very little value. And so when a reed became damaged, it started to bend or crack or wear down or become bruised, you just snap it and discard it without a second thought. Why bother trying to work with a damaged reed when it was far easier just to throw it away and pick up a new one? We all throw things away when they're broken or not fit for purpose. But here's the thing. In this picture God is painting, to describe his anointed servant, you and I are meant to realise that we are like the bruised reeds. Some of us might feel our fragility and our damage more than others. Some of us are more conscious of the fact that we are like damaged goods. Not only bruised by living life in a fallen world, but also bruised by our own sinful choices and rebellion against God. And for those of us who've realised that we're like bruised reeds, no longer fit for purpose, we've likely also thought to ourselves at one time or another, surely God doesn't have time. Surely he can't really care about bruised and sin-damaged people like me. And maybe you feel, even feel this way in the eyes of other people as well. 
like a failure in other people's eyes, like, like other people view you as a waste of space, emotionally, spiritually, or physically damaged, and therefore useless and dispensable, something to be cast aside and forgotten. Certainly in the eyes of the world that we live in, a bruised reed is a lost cause. It isn't worth the bother. It's not worth rescuing. It might as well be snapped and thrown away. But not so in the eyes of God. Not in the eyes of God. Because look here at what we're told about God's son, his chosen servant Jesus A bruised reed he will not break. Jesus is God's servant. We're told he's come to bring justice to the nations, but he didn't come to break bruised reeds. He didn't come to crush them underfoot or discard them. He doesn't reject and throw away broken people. He didn't come to break you more than you're already broken. He came to gently welcome bruised reeds and mend them. He came with tender compassion to administer healing and forgiveness to every bruised man, woman or child who is willing simply to reach out their hand and ask him. Now Isaiah wrote this prophecy many centuries before Jesus came. And perhaps many in Isaiah's day found it incredibly difficult to comprehend how this this promised Messiah who was going to come and bring justice and judgment on sinners, could also treat so tenderly and gently the very ones who had committed such grievous sins. Yet come he did to show that very gentleness, to tenderly welcome and forgive bruised reeds. And as hard as it is sometimes for us to believe this still, because it sounds almost too wonderful to be true, Isn't this, in fact, the Jesus that we find so clearly revealed across all of the pages of the New Testament? Isn't this the testimony of every one of the four gospel writers? Isn't this the testimony of Jesus himself as he reassured people time and time again that he had not come to break them or crush them by laying even greater burdens upon them, but instead he had come to bind up their wounds and save them? To relieve them, to relieve us of our weariness and give us rest. Just think about the words with which he began his public ministry. He's sort of setting out his table. He's showing what he's about and what his mission is for. He stands up in the synagogue and he announces to his hearers, this is what I have come to do. This is why I've been sent. Luke 4.18, to proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Remember his words in Matthew chapter 11 while the the Pharisees were there piling up more and more rules and restrictions and religious obligations on the people. Jesus, in stark contrast, told his listeners, come to me. All who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when he announced the blessings of the kingdom that he had come to bring, he began with these words in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed essentially are those who know themselves to be bruised reeds. For theirs 
is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Christ didn't come to break bruised reeds, to break the poor in spirit, to break those who already grieve over their sin. No, he came to comfort them and give them the kingdom. And we don't only see it in his words about himself, we also see it in his works, in his actions, in how he responded again and again and again to bruised and damaged people. Like the man with the withered hand that Jesus met just earlier on in Matthew 12. The Pharisees weren't interested in helping him, especially on the Sabbath, a day that they thought was all about what you could do and give to God. But Jesus, knowing that the Sabbath was really about God wanting to give and do good to us, invited the man to stretch out his hand. And as he did so, Jesus completely healed him. The woman caught in adultery in John 8 is another example of a bruised reed. Everybody around her was ready to quite literally give up on her and crush her to death with stones. And that's how self-righteous religious people tend to treat bruised reeds. But not Jesus. Jesus stooped down into the dirt beside her, saved her from death, forgave all her sins and sent her away as a whole new person. Jairus was a bruised reed, shattered by the grief of the death of his daughter. Others told him not to bother Jesus with it anymore. Surely even Jesus couldn't help him now in such bruising and heartbreaking circumstances. But on hearing them, Jesus simply turned to Jairus and said, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And then he proceeded to go and raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. The woman with the discharge of blood in Luke 8 was a bruised reed, so much so that she was unclean in the eyes of all who looked on her, a complete outcast in her society. But when she reached out to touch Jesus, he wasn't defiled by her or repulsed by her. He didn't throw her aside. Instead, his power went out from him and she was cleansed and healed and restored. Peter was a bruised reed. After he denied Jesus three times and then ran away weeping with shame over what he had done. But Jesus, after rising in mighty victory over sin and Satan and death, gently and graciously, with words of tender kindness, restored Peter and comforted him and commissioned him again to feed his sheep. God's servant Jesus came to administer tender, loving, saving kindness to a great multitude of bruised reeds both then and now. To all who would willingly, with empty hands, receive him and call upon his name. Now why would he do this? Why would Jesus do this? If reeds are to a penny... And bruised reeds are frankly worthless. Why will Jesus not break and discard people who are no better than bruised and worn out reeds? The temptation, of course, is to think that it might be because of some secret worthiness deep down inside us. That, that, you know, that might sound nice, but it's actually not very reassuring at all, especially if you yourself know and feel utterly worthless before him. We really don't want his loving kindness to in any way depend on even just a hint of something special 
that resides in us. How insecure and fragile our security in him would then be. But fortunately, that's not why Jesus doesn't break bruised reeds. The reason he won't break a bruised reed is not because of anything that exists in us, in our hearts, but because of everything that exists in him, in his heart. Because his heart is gentle and full of kindness and mercy. His heart is full of tender compassion for all who find themselves lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He is the good shepherd who came to rescue lost and injured sheep. Even those of us who have wandered so very far from God and whose wounds are so brutal and messy and fatal, even you and I. But how can he do this? How can Jesus do this? Even if he has a heart to rescue bruised and broken people, how can he possibly do it when so much of the bruising we experience is the consequence of our own sin? And guilt before God. How can Christ heal sinners who deserve to be judged and discarded and destroyed? How can he do it? Well, simply because the servant of the Lord promised in Isaiah 42, where Matthew is quoting from, is the same suffering servant promised a few chapters later in Isaiah 53. And what Isaiah 53 reveals to us is that the reason Christ will not break a bruised reed is because he himself was bruised to the uttermost in our place. He was broken and discarded as our substitute. So Isaiah, Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected by men. He was, he was treated like an outcast. He was cast aside by God and man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was not just bruised, but crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. That's how he can redeem and heal the most bruised and broken of sinners. He was bruised so that all who trust in him might be forgiven and mended and restored. So, if you know yourself and feel yourself to be a bruised reed today, Jesus' heart is full of compassion towards you. It is. It is full of compassion towards you. He cares for you. He really does. And whoever you are, no matter how bruised you might be, he invites you to come to him again this morning, perhaps for the very first time, perhaps for the 10,000th time, to come with your bruises. Don't try to hide them or deny them or apply the makeup of good works to them. Just come bruised. Because in fact, he only welcomes bruised sinners. I know, I know it's so hard to imagine that we could come to God like that. The world is full of people who will just turn you away when they see how bruised you are. When they, when they see the hurts that have been done to you 
and even more the hurts that you have done to yourself and others. They will turn you away, but Jesus is not like that at all. God is not like that. He will not cast aside those who are bruised and broken and of little worth in the eyes of the world. We say, how can I come to Jesus when I feel so wearied and burdened by my sin? How can I come when I feel my guilt and my shame so acutely? To which he replies, that is all the more reason why you should come and come quickly. The more unsightly our sins and bruises, the more it draws out his tenderness and his eagerness to draw us, receive us and welcome us. As Richard Sibbs once wrote, for as a mother is tenderest to the most diseased and weakest child, so does Christ most mercifully incline to the weakest. And let us hear this so clearly this morning. He never once turned away a single bruised and weary soul who came to him. Never once. Meaning he will not turn you away. He will not break you or crush you or accuse you when you come. On the contrary, Christ says, come to me and I will welcome you. Come to me bruised and bloodied and I will heal you. Come to me guilty and sinful and I will forgive you. Come to me tired and worn down and burdened and I will give you rest. Come to me helpless and afraid and I will be your fortress and your helper. Come to me lonely and in despair and I will cherish you and love you and impart brand new hope to you. I will not crush you. I will not spurn you. I will not cast you on the rubbish heap because I have already been bruised and crushed and cast out in your place. I have already had poured on me every ounce of punishment due to you so that all I and my Father have left to pour out on you when you come is tender pardon and grace and welcome. Won't we then accept this invitation to turn to him and run to him again this morning, whether it is for the first time perhaps for you, to be saved, or for the 10,000th time to let him administer to us more of his tender, loving mercy and kindness. And in case it's not clear already, this is just as true for those of us who have been Christians for a long time. For those of us who already know we've been forgiven and washed clean and welcomed by his grace, we still, so long as we live in this world, so long as we have to battle with our remaining sin, we will still continue to experience new bruises and so need fresh supplies of his tender grace. Now sometimes, of course, we find it harder to believe that this could still be his heart towards us when once we're saved. We tell ourselves, he expects so much better of me now. I shouldn't be like this anymore. I've been a Christian for oh so many years. Surely I shouldn't still be failing like this. I shouldn't still be so prone to bruising and muddying myself with ongoing and repeated sins. But notice, notice here, it doesn't promise here that Christ came to fix and mend up bruised reeds so completely right now that we'd no longer be susceptible to more bruises from our sins and our difficulties and our trials. 
That certainly wasn't the Apostle Paul's experience as he described it in Romans chapter 7, still battling against his sin at every turn. David was bruised again when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, even though he was already a man after God's own heart. In fact, he described that bruising in Psalm 32 as feeling like his bones were wasting away until he turned and repented and felt God's healing power. And the Lord, of course, as we heard a few uh, weeks ago, bruised Paul with a serious affliction, with a thorn in his flesh, and he let it remain to teach him greater dependence on God through it. So the promise here is not that God will, will take it all away, that there'll be no more bruises, but the promise is that Christ's heart never changes towards the bruised who take refuge in him. He will go on showing tender compassion and kindness to every bruised reed who is willing to run to him again and again to receive it. As we're reminded in Hebrews 4, he never stops inviting us to draw near to him to receive more of his mercy and grace. But what if we struggle to believe this? What if we feel our faith is too weak to lay hold of this? To put it another way, how, how does Christ, this Christ who is gentle towards the bruised, how does he respond to the faint of heart? To those who, despite all of his gracious promises, can still only come trembling and not entirely certain of his willingness to help them? Well, our, our second final point for this morning he gives faith to the faint of heart. He gives faith to the faint of heart. And so it says here, a smouldering wick he will not quench. What is a smouldering wick? Well, we might not be so familiar with bruised reeds, but I think as I start to describe this, you, you'll, you'll recognise more readily a smouldering wick. It's, it's a reference to a wick in an oil lamp or a candle. And in this case, a wick that has burnt down really low. So maybe picture, uh, I'm, I think of these maybe because they're the only candles I think I'm trusted with at home. So the little, the little tea lights that you get out particularly at Christmas. Picture a modern day tea light and the wick on there. So burnt down and swimming in used up wax that it's barely a light. It's on the verge of going out and, and it's filling the air around it now with far more smoke than light. That's a smouldering wick. Now, the normal thing to do with a smouldering wick is to put it out. Like a bruised reed, a smouldering wick is pretty much useless. It's a nuisance. The natural thing is to snuff it out and extinguish it altogether. So what kind of person is being described here? It's a person who's not only bruised by sin, but also small of faith. Faint of heart. A person who trembles to believe the gracious invitations of Jesus. And here is God's promise to the faint of heart. Here is God's promise to those who have almost lost all hope. God promises that his servant Jesus will not quench or snuff out those of little faith. He will not take offence at them or show annoyance towards them or lose his patience with them. He will not do any of those things to those who come to him trembling to believe that he could possibly receive them. On the contrary, 
wherever he sees even the smallest hint of faith towards him in a person's heart, he gladly receives it and takes it up. He, he shields it in his mighty hands to keep it from going out and there he gently blows on it so that bit by bit that tiny flicker of faith begins to fan into flame. Doubting Thomas was a smouldering wick in John 20, but Jesus bore with him in his doubts and his uncertainty, and he blew all his doubts away. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, were smouldering wicks. They were wavering in their confidence that Jesus could really be the Redeemer after he's been sentenced to death and now crucified. Could it really be? But the risen Jesus draws alongside them and explains to them why he had to suffer and how all God's promises throughout the scriptures have now been fulfilled in him. The sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet with her tears in Luke 7 was like a smoky, smouldering wick in the eyes of Simon the Pharisee. He wasn't happy to have her in his home. But Jesus defended her coming to her defended her coming to him and assured her that her many sins were forgiven. The leper who came and knelt before Jesus in Matthew 8 was just like a smouldering wick when he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Obviously uncertain of whether Jesus would help him. But Jesus didn't reject him for his if. Instead, he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. Again, the woman with the discharge of blood we mentioned earlier, as she approached Jesus in Luke 8, she was not only a bruised reed, but also a smouldering wick, trembling with fear as she reached out to touch just the hem of Jesus' garment. And yet she went away healed and renewed and accepted and newly at peace with God. And finally, the, the man in Mark 9 with a demon-possessed son, I think was the ultimate example of a smouldering wick. When he cried out to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. And in response to his faint-hearted plea, Jesus not only released his son from bondage, but gave him the answer to his prayer, gave him the faith that he had so desperately requested. This is how Jesus treats faint-hearted people, smouldering wicks who come to him, not only with many bruises, but also trembling to believe. He doesn't extinguish them. He doesn't snuff them out or discard them because they struggle to believe. Where faith is real, however small, he will never turn it away or extinguish it. On the contrary, small faith is enough to go to him with because it's small faith being placed in a great saviour. And when once we've reached out to him in trembling faith, he will take hold of us. And gently but surely fan our faith into flame. So, maybe you're listening today, not only pressed down by the troubles of this world, but struggling with doubts or guilt or fears. Perhaps the things taking place in your, right, in your life right now have left you feeling crushed and broken. Perhaps even though you've felt a fresh glimmer of hope as you've listened this morning, it's a hope that's still mingled with much weakness and trembling. But here is maybe the, the, the one supreme thing that you need to know and remember this morning. Jesus cares. He cares about the bruised 
read the faint of heart. He cares for you. He cares about your bruises and your faintness of heart. And he invites you to come to him again today. To turn to him and allow him to do what only he is able and eager to do. To forgive your sins. To bind up your broken heart. To heal and strengthen you in the midst of your afflictions. To assure and reassure you of his tender, steadfast love for you. To give you fresh faith to believe. What better place is there in all the world for any of us to turn for help and mercy than to him? Today and tomorrow and the next day, for as long as he is a tender and compassionate saviour, which he will be now and forever. Let's turn to him together as we pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us such a saviour as this. One who will not crush us for our sins and weaknesses or reprimand us and send us away for our faint-hearted faith. Please help us this morning to respond to his invitation, to draw near to your throne of grace. And we pray, Lord, that as we do so, you would save those turning to Christ for the very first time, perhaps this morning, and that you would help every one of us who is already saved. Please comfort us in all our afflictions. Please strengthen us in our battle with remaining sin. And please fan our faith in our Saviour into a much warmer, brighter, stronger flame. In the name of Jesus, the tender Saviour of the bruised and faint of heart, we pray. Amen. Please stand as we worship our tender, loving Saviour together.